Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, and I'm very excited to talk to today's guests. You are an artist, naturally a penciler and inker, founding editor of an anthology which we'll be talking about today entitled The Good Fight. But even before all that, you've been involved in some other great works, including Unlawful Good, Baroque Pop, which um, if you've heard episode, I believe that was 103 uh, entitled Straight to Hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with American <laughs> Laurie, uh, we talked at least a good bit about Baroque Pop before um, things went straight to hell, as we joke about. Uh, let's see, there's Indigenous, This Nightmare Kills Fascist, and Curio. And you've also yeah. written a short in Cosmic Love from Red Style of Media. But we're going to mainly talk about the good fight, so please welcome to the show, Adam Ferris. Adam, thank you for coming on the show, and I appreciate you taking the time out. And I don't know if you, like me, are still recovering from last weekend, because... We were just talking prior to even starting about how um, old we are. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, if you want to feel your age, travel and go to New York City Comic Con. <laughs> that's that's how I feel anyway. <laughs> and this is the worst part, and this is the part that's embarrassing. I lived in uh, up until I would say spring of 2016. I lived in New Jersey, you know, born and raised. And where I lived in New Jersey, in multiple places in the state, I was maybe five, ten minutes away from New York City. And now, being out here in Long Island, I'm about, let's say, an hour, all things considered. It's still not as far as other people who, like you, have traveled, because you're based out of Michigan, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. So, I I have two options. I can take an hour and a half plane trip, or I can drive 11 or 12 hours i think it is crap yeah which i did i did that once for my first year at new york comic-con i drove there because i was just like "Eh, it's not a big deal it'll be a fun little drive and it wasn't fun at all and uh (laughs) (laughs) it it made me uh really tired for the show (laughs) but i powered through anyway and then from here on out, I've been just like, yeah, I'll just fly. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I felt like such a jackass because I'm complaining. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. You know, it's like, but yet my journey into New York, a lot different from a lot of people's, especially yours. So, yeah, after finding out that you drove 11 hours, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldn't complain any. But going back a ways, uh, we knew of each other through uh, mutual creators and, dare I say, friends. Yeah, yeah. So we had kind of been interacting on social media for quite some time. So this was Friday at the Creator AfterCon event, which is located at Twins Pub, a couple of blocks away from the Jacob Javits Center, your Comic Con weekend. A friend was over, like, oh, I want you to come over and meet uh, Adam Ferris. And I'm like, Adam Ferris, I know that name. It's like, oh, <laughs> that's Adam. You're Adam. Wait a minute. And it's like, where are you? I'm Adrian. Oh, shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of the beauty of uh, comics or, or podcasting or any kind of entertainment, right? Like we we kind of live in this little, small, tight little uh, network, and then 
when we get to see each other face to face, it's just so exciting. And we're already, we're already like really deep into a conversation right off the bat. And that's something I love about, you know, all the things that we do. <laughs> yeah. It's also just a little embarrassing because sometimes I'll have these great conversations and then you pass it over to the business card and you're like, wait a minute. I think I follow you. We're friends like, oh shit, not only do I know of you, we've also been talking for a better half of a couple of years. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like this wouldn't have happened uh, 20 years ago. You know what I mean? This doesn't happen before. It's just like kind of new ground for everyone. Like, oh yeah, I do know you, even though we've never met before or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's amazing. And I guess that kind of goes into a little bit of, what we're going to talk to tonight is just how connected we are and in ways that are almost, dare I say, frightening, only because you sometimes don't even know who it is that you're interacting with. And, you know, you meet them personally or on a different level. And then especially when it comes to creators, because as I was flipping through the Good Fight Ash can that you put out during Comic-Con weekend, I'm looking at the names of the creators involved in this and you're just going through and I'm like, and, and not in like a weird self-congratulatory way, in case anyone's wondering, but just more of a, wow, like this is stacked with talent and it's a pleasure to even be aware of their work prior to this. So you can read the names and say, you're in for a good time. This is going to be a very well done book. And there's. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I know. I know what you mean, though. Uh, and not to self-congratulate me either. But uh, the first time I read the names out loud was on a show and. uh I started reading really fast because I couldn't believe the names I was reading. And it was just like right then that it hit me, like, who is on this book? <laughs> you know? Like, should it's, I go ahead and like read all of them? Like, I'm almost de- I'm almost tempted to just go through. <laughs> yeah. And, and what you see there isn't even all of them. I mean, we, are you kidding? Wait, there's even more. Yeah. It says many, many more right at the bottom. <laughs> I know. But, you know, there's I'm, no disrespect. There's a lot of times I've seen many, many more. And it's maybe uh, two other people, which is fine. But, oh, sure. <laughs> but, uh, wow. I didn't count what I wrote here, but uh, that's, what, maybe like 40, 50 people? Yeah, about that. We have 142 people on this book. That is nuts. So, I'm just going to just kind of jump through real quick. And apologies if I don't mention anybody's name. That, of course, comes from no disrespect. It just comes from lack of caffeine and also... I didn't want to make it like super like name droppy, but I mean, yeah, got... we don't have three hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no, the trust the show's not that long, but <laughs> so let's. So see. yeah, you just you just name whoever you feel like naming. How about that? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I should just do like a grab bag, put names in a hat, and just pull out five. <laughs> so you got Mark Wade, Jade Williams the third, Greg Pack, Greg Rucka, Erica Schultz. Uh, Eric Palicki, Taylor Esposito, Ian Mondrick. Oh my gosh, I go through Nadia Shamas. Like, it's Kelly Williams, Pat Shand, Bob France, and Kevin Cuff. Which, uh, shout out to Kev. Um, hope he's keeping that beard going. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had an episode, this is going back, uh, back, I think this is like episode 83 or like early 80s. And we spent so much time talking about like this beard battle he has with some of the other creators on the Not oh, Forgotten nice. anthology that <laughs> it, it got intense. And I felt so bad because my beard game was not on point. <laughs> <laughs> I can't grow one, so it's all good. <laughs> Lila Gwen, like there's cover art by Christian Ward. 
And Danny Lore, who I was made aware of Danny, like, this is going back a while, but uh, just came up recently talking about the Death of the Horror Anthology, which is currently going on now on Kickstarter at the time of this recording. And going back to what I was saying before, like, it's great when you kind of make these connections and at least are aware of people's work and seeing the progression and seeing the things that they're doing. And it's always really a, a good feeling when you can see someone just continue to do great works. I don't know how much you can really even get into, but I guess well, what I really want to first ask is, what was the process like of not even just getting the stories, but just assembling this massive team together? Because you said there was, what, double this? <laughs> yeah, like I'm pretty sure our final count was 142. It took a long time to, to get this many people and this quality of people. This is probably the only anthology that I'll ever make. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I wanted to do it really, really well and just the best it could possibly be. So the process for getting some of these people was like, uh, I, I'm friends with Heather Antos. Okay. And uh, early on, she was a big supporter of the idea of this book. And she connected me with Mark Wade. And Mark Wade's script was actually the first script that I got for this anthology he just like banged it out and it's it's a beautiful beautiful script and you know it kind of went from there and i had uh been friends also with adrian wassell of vault comics and he had also introduced me to some more people and then once i got uh michael perlman officially on board he michael perlman was the assistant on where we live benefit anthology from image comics that came out this year so he ended up having a huge catalog or a Rolodex, I guess, of uh, talent that he had known. Between those three key people, we were able to reach out to some pretty big name talent and just kind of pitch this idea to them. And everybody that's on board, there was no like, will you please do this? It was like, hey, we got this anthology, which is taking a peaceful stand against racism and bigotry. Uh, and all proceeds are going to the SPLC. We're not paying you. And they're like, yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I think in today's world, we're quite accessible to news. And uh, we can see the world around us pretty easily. And uh, it's getting a little hot out there. And I feel like it's it's just the right time for this book and i think i'm right just because so many people have stepped up and are so enthusiastic about contributing to this book right now you know i don't think this book could have happened 10 years ago i don't know maybe i'm wrong <laughs> but you know what what started it for me my myself was the the charlottesville incident um it just made me sick to my stomach when that was going on and that's where this book came from was just me putting out a tweet saying that i'd like to do this anthology and then it just went from there so yeah i think it's something that a lot of people are passionate about and i think a lot of people that aren't creators and just want to back this book and read about it and contribute to the southern poverty law center uh, it goes towards a good cause you know it, it's just perfect timing you know for something like this to happen on one end though it is unfortunate because it would be great to see so many talents on a book in an ideal world it wouldn't have had to have been about this, but as it stands, yeah. we are kind of in the face of some just really just abhorrent events going on. And I guess to me, 
as I see it and, you know, talking about, you know, being careful and wanting to make sure that you're saying things as wanted as possible. It's mm-hmm. a problem we've always faced in a way. Yes. That's one of the benefits, at least, or I, maybe benefit isn't the right word, but one of the kind of the side effects of having something like social media or having access to so much information is these events that, well, would have seemed isolated are now brought to the forefront and are now being seen for what they really are because I'm not saying, oh, Charlottesville couldn't have happened a couple of years ago, but in a world where everybody has access to like, you know, like a cell phone camera or is taking footage, like that's something that now when these things happen, they can't be hidden. That's exactly why I'm unsure that it, you know, whether or not it would have been the right time 10 years ago, because there would have been a lot more disbelief, I think, from some people, you know, whether or not racism and bigotry is a huge problem or not, you know, now it's a lot more undeniable. And I think that those that do deny it are just trying to deny it. Um, But yeah, I mean, it. That's a deep discussion right there, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, and there's there's definitely layers to it, and that's something yeah. that we could probably get into and have again talk about three hours, a very long discussion about. But I think you and I kind of are at least on the same page. And as much as like I said, I love that someone's telling these stories to shed some light on this. But you know, it's a shame that it's gotten this far, and it almost felt in a way like I wouldn't say overnight because again. For those paying attention, it was sort of brewing for a long time, but to see this type of just open hatred, not so long after the election, I'm writing the LIR, and there's flyers actively recruiting for the KKK. Oh my god. I've heard of that, but it's it's just hard to take in that when you when you see that with your own eyes. And, right. and hearing someone that saw, saw it with their own eyes, it's, it's really hard for me to take it in, and it just, it's awful. And it's tough because I feel like, you know, there is the the glaring examples of these things that are happening, but so much of it and why that fight still continues is some of it is, a lot of it really is also so very subtle. Yes. You don't even think of it as being considered a hate crime or even like a biased attack on somebody, you know, whether it be physically or emotionally, whatever the case may be. And that's why... I'm glad that we're speaking up at all. And I, you know, getting into this book, which by the way, the ash can features two stories. Uh, the first, uh, boys night out, which was written by Mark Rayner and art by, you know, you, Mr. Ferris, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Christian Tokolomansky, who did the lettering. I'm going to start here first, before I go into the second story. Sure. Um, first off, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a story I did not expect to go where it did. It did exactly what I think needed to do was make me uncomfortable. So I don't know, like you having, of course, worked on this one personally. I don't know if you want to share some insight as to this particular story and why you felt it was a good showcase to put in the ash can. So just to preface it uh, with both of these stories, the Ashkin has two stories in it from the anthology. And we chose these two stories because they are kind of at the center of where this book started. Right. So not necessarily, you know, of course, where like racism started, but like the beginnings of this anthology. So the first one directly talks about Charlottesville, 
in the kind of of marches that we saw there, right? So, um, you know, and it, it it starts off with showing this man, and he is clearly having some interest in online discussions with um, some alt right groups and things like that, and that's what gets him to uh, head out to. I guess it doesn't really say Charlottesville, but it, it does uh, <laughs> look like it, you know, and he heads out and he meets these guys and he feels like uh, he's finally found his his people, you know, and uh, exact like minded people. Unfortunately, it's about uh, hate. And we really tried to capture the tension of them walking through the counter protesters because they're the protesters technically. Um because they were protesting the uh, removal of a Confederate statue. Right. Um, so we really tried to, and as an artist, I tried to capture just there's, there's shots where it's just tons and tons of people just screaming at each other. And you can see where the divides are. And um, I've actually been in a situation like that for a similar reason. And uh, it's, it's very tense and it is uncomfortable but yeah, I think we we captured that beautifully. The story itself it goes on to where things physically get out of hand. People get too angry and start attacking. And uh, yeah, where where it goes is so Mark is he's he's written some comics for uh, Twilight Zone, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and it really shows. <laughs> it really shows. And well, when he wanted to do something, I was like, "Will you please write like?" a twilight zone esque story for this. Cause I love the twilight zone and I think it would just be really cool to have one of those stories from a legit twilight zone writer. So we did. So yeah. So these guys, the alt right people are trying to escape from the chaos uh, as it really gets out of hand and they go into this kind of an empty building as it turns out, they are actual monsters and there's one more twist after that. I won't spoil it, but uh, right. Yeah, I tried to um, make the monsters as scary as possible. They're just spewing like all this like black gunk from their mouths. You know, that was kind of a, a metaphor, I guess. Your art was in, insane on this. And it's funny, I'm, uh, my girlfriend, Eileen, who you met um, at the yeah. Afrikan party. So she's sitting behind me and I'm kind of uh, reading it through the first time. It made me feel a little uncomfortable, you know, but I think that's kind of something that needs to happen in a lot of these cases mm-hmm. where... I wasn't expecting the story to be taken from the perspective of somebody who's going to that rally, you know, with the intent of carrying a tiki torch. Right. It's a really gutsy move because if you're not really thinking about it, it's a lot of like, wait a minute, hold on. I thought this was going to be about, you know, (laughs) but obviously it's like, well, if that's knowing what it was about beforehand. So it's like, all right, let's see where this goes. So, and again, I'm not going to try to spoil it, but once that twist happens and, you know, the other twist happens, I was not expecting that at all, and I did kind of <laughs> jump back, and I was like, I guess I'm really not sleeping tonight, because <laughs> <laughs> you really drew the hell out of those last few panels. It really drove a point home, and it's not subtle, and I think that's why I like this so much, because I think sometimes in the case of trying to bring things to light, sometimes it's just better to just put it out there and be like, this is it. This is this is true ugly right here. Yeah, yeah, it is... Uh... I, I wanted to make those last couple scenes as just absolutely horrific as possible. And it's not gory. It's just really scary. 
I think it worked. So, <laughs> right. And that last panel, I think really just, it hit me in a way personally, because you think about how many people, when they react to the things that they see, whether it be Charlottesville or other incidences of just, you know, just hate and well, people who are joining together to spread that along. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of, I think what also was kind of interesting was, you know, once the Charlottesville happened, people were taking snapshots of people carrying the torches and they made their faces known. Yeah. And they were put on blast and having their lives affected. And then with the, oh, well, that's not me. I'm not that, you know, my life was ruined as a result, but it's like, no, you were there. You actively participated. You were screaming along with the rest of your quote unquote brethren carrying these torches. You had no problem harming people who were just telling you, like, you have no place in this town, much less anywhere. Yeah. So to then have, you know, in in a way, how you showed that, you know, and I'm not going to try not to say how, I thought was also <laughs> a really, really great way to drive that point home of saying, it's like, we know who you are. Yeah. You can try to hide, but it's like, you can't anymore. Yeah. And I thought that was a really great message to end on of basically it's like we're calling you out officially. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And um and and you know what's really scary actually reviewing this story today. It's happening again today. There was an a, another attack this weekend and it's on the news now like people are exposing this other group that's another hate group and exposing their names and faces on you know, social media and stuff, which is great. They need to be exposed. If you're going to be part of a hate group, I guess own it and lose your job. That's fine. Um, But for anybody listening and to think that, oh, well, this was a year ago. It's over. It's not over. It just happened this weekend too. You know, the violence happened this weekend. So it's going to make less and less news, I think, as we get used to it. But it's still here, unfortunately. Right. But I think it also was a challenge to anybody who may be, let's say, even reading the anthology, who may hold some of those similar viewpoints Mm -hmm. to realize it's like, look, you may not have been there carrying the torches or marching, but, you know, you have to also acknowledge your own ugliness. Yeah. Yeah. Is this really what you want to support? Yeah. (laughs) And again, like I said, a lot of it's subtle. Like, so not everybody's going to be wearing, you know, the red baseball cap. Some people sure. are just going to look like everyday people, but then it's like you have to admit that you have possibly have the ability to think and act on certain things in your own small ways. And I think that's kind of like I said, it was a really powerful story. And I think it was a nice uh, lead into the second story, Statues of Limitation, yeah. which was written by Ian Mondrick, which shout out to Ian, by the way. It was a pleasure seeing him as well as CACN. Yeah. Art by Scott Partridge and lettering by Bernardo Bryce. Mm-hmm. This one I thought was really poignant and it really hit in a way I, I didn't know how to really express because there's parts where it was almost, I don't want to say funny, but it was ironic. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I thought it, it was kind of funny to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like it's funny. Yeah. In its own way. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Which I and I hope Ian doesn't mind me saying that because obviously I, I did enjoy the slant it took, mm-hmm. and again it's so hard to talk about it without really spoiling it because you know I want people obviously to read the anthology. That's, that's okay. There's like uh, 
40 more stories they get to read. So, right. well, I mean, <laughs> tell you what, I don't know. I figured I'll have you kind of set it up because I, I figured you probably do a much better job than me rambling about it. <laughs> yeah. So this story we included in the Ashcan because since the first story was about the alt-right people protesting the removal of Confederate statues, we thought we'd go right into the Confederate statues themselves. And Baltimore, yeah, it was Baltimore. They had removed a couple of Confederate statues overnight quietly. So another Charlottesville wouldn't happen. And that actually happened. I don't think it was as big on the news, but that actually happened. And Ian started thinking about, you know, what was it like aside from just removing these statues? So what if these statues could actually talk and were actual people? And it's almost like they're statues that kind of play the, the person that they are portraying also. Right. So it's it's almost like really having that person there, which I think on its own is kind of powerful, too. You know, you can't keep a statue up of Robert E. Lee that fought to keep slavery in America and just say it was history. No, that is literally a man that tried to do that and kill all the other Americans so he could. So so that's what we got into was what if these statues could talk? And what's funny about it in the story that makes it funny is the dialogue is a lot of funny because there are a bunch of bickering old men <laughs> you know and um they're constantly trying to one-up each other and uh they're just kind of stuck in this warehouse out of the limelight and it ends on a really peaceful note actually it shows a statue of billy holiday and she's singing and you know she's talking to uh that big head statue of frederick douglas and they're talking to Thurgood Marshall, you know, all of these historical people that actually did good in America and for the world. And those are the kinds of statues that we want to keep up, you know, and to be really honest, the first story was kind of the shock value. We're putting this in your face. But the second story really kind of sets the tone for the anthology. We realized that there's a lot of horrific things we could discuss and show, but if anybody wants to support this book and maybe they were a victim, we don't want to show these terrible things either. You know, we don't want to like put them out there in an entertaining way. So anytime it, throughout the book that there's uh, violence, we cleverly go around it. You know what I mean? We're not showing people of color getting hurt by uh, racist groups or anything like that. We don't want to put that out there into the world like that. So the second story really kind of sets the tone where we can talk about racism and we can talk about what's good and what's bad and how to hold up the good and take away the bad. But we don't always have to be talking about hate groups and we don't always have to be uh, talking about violence. And that is actually a lot of the book is um, we, we ended up using um, and this was this is actually from Danny Lore, the editor that we are talking about that's on the book. They've been phenomenal with helping me focus where this book needs to go. And Danny, Danny kept just saying, we need to just show stories of hope and resistance, hope and resistance over and over and over. Like we're going to resist all this stuff that's being thrown at us in 2018, 2019, 2020, because, you know, that's coming. But yep. we need to resist that. But we got to have hope. And that's really what this book is about is we're 
coming all together, all of these creators, and we're asking you to come all together. And we're just, we're going to outlast this. We're going to get past it. This is just a dark period and it's going to be a big pushback from us, but we're, we're going to do it. And that's what this book is about, ultimately. So that's why that second story is in there, because I felt like it really set the tone. It also kind of lightened up the mood a little bit from the first uh, story. I wanted it to end on a happier note, too. The first story, while not necessarily lighthearted, I got like this weird sense of justice. It's like, you know, someone who felt so strongly about it, then realized, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to be a part of this, but it's like, nope, you know, you don't get to walk away from it that easily. Right. So like I said, and much like one of those Twilight Zone kind of stories where someone getting their comeuppance. But I do agree, the second story, and it's funny just watching like, you know, these statues bicker in a warehouse museum, but there is something to be said about the fact that, you know, the statues were even erected at all. And, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you mentioned the fact that they did this overnight, realizing, oh, we don't want any reprisal, much like what happened here. But then it's kind of like, well, you know, if you were that concerned, maybe you shouldn't have put them up at all. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like if you, <laughs> yeah, when when this was a a hot issue on the news, and then you saw everybody on Facebook and Twitter giving their two cents. You know, there there are people that wanted them taken down, and there are people like, no, you're erasing history. Well, you know, if you look at the history of the statues. It's not like the Civil War happened and they put them up right then. It mm-hmm. it, hap- it happened later. <laughs> in the, Much later. Yeah. And they are there to intimidate and show who's in power. They are trying to show that the old ways are still there lying underneath. And that's what those statues actually represent. Those statues can exist in a museum or something and we can talk about our history. I don't think anybody has a problem with talking about our history. That is certainly something that we should talk about is the dark times in our history. But we can't erect these statues throughout public places. And if you look at all of those statues, they all look noble. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. No, you're a jerk. Like, to the furthest extent, you were a jerk. And, and <laughs> you know, but we have you on this horse looking like some big, awesome, tough guy that did something great. You know, that's just not the case. So, um, yeah, I hope that didn't cause a, a, a rift <laughs> in the audience. But uh, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> but not for nothing, though, it did at least start a conversation. Yeah. Because that is something I have often heard is... Okay, well, if you take the statues down, like you said, you know, you're taking my history. It's like, no, it's a matter of context. Yeah. It's how you're presenting that history. It's how you're telling these stories. And, you know, it's easy to look back and think of things in a very flowery way. You know, it's like you think about the Civil War. It's like, oh, you know, the, the North and the South, they fought. They got over it. And eventually, you know, they hung out later. It's like, you know, it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not how that worked. It was a, it was a much uglier thing. But. When you, like you said, when you erect a statue of, let's say, anybody, whether it's of a civil rights leader or, you know, <laughs> someone like a Robert E. Lee, or mm-hmm. even like when Detroit put up a statue of Robocop, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. there's, when you put up a statue of something or someone that sends a clear message, either you're trying to highlight that person in a celebratory way or, you know, in some cases, they are put up to, you know, to kind of show an example of, hey, this is 
a moment of time that is fairly recent, all things considered. Yeah. I, you can argue the Robocop thing. I'm still like, all right, I understand it happened in your town, but. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> and I love those movies, but, you know, that sends a very different message. But yeah, yeah when you write those statues, you're saying, hey, in some weird way, we celebrate these figures for what they did. I think the good parallel to it is if we look at Germany and they don't have statues of Hitler <laughs> up or anything that's remotely associated with that. And they do have those things in museums so they can teach their future generations um, about it and how it was wrong. That's the history lesson right there. Um, but putting it on public display is honoring it and not giving it history. <laughs> right. That's just all there is to it. And the word that often comes up, and it even came up in that first story that was so unsettling, was this idea of heritage. Mm. Yeah. You can actually go online and do the research uh, on like pretty much any statue that's out there in the public. And um, you can see when they've been built and you can actually see who funded them. And if this is a topic that you're still after listening to us talk, you're still like, no, that's history and we shouldn't take it down. If you look into who's putting them together and who and when they did it and sometimes for how much as in how little it costs them to do it, that alone really solidified my thoughts on it, you know. That's when I was like, okay, I get it. These are markers of oppression. That's what they're there for. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> do your research. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think enough people do. And that's why we do things like this. So that way you can teach that history, you know, maybe in an indirect way, not out of a textbook. But if someone can at least maybe read this and think about a couple of things, and making a change towards something positive, that, that would be worth it because I think that's where it comes down. And we talked, you know, I talked about information and how easy it is to spread about. I would argue that at this point, you can't say that it's from a lack of knowledge because again, this information is out there. It's so easily accessible. It takes a couple of clicks of a link to just get to it. So if you now seeing all this around you, and seeing what's essentially a fight for civil liberties and then balking at that. It's like, no, you have to know what that's about. You, It's almost like a willful ignorance instead of just being like, well, I didn't know this was a bad thing. It's like, no, you knew. Yeah, yeah. No one wears a Confederate flag accidentally. <laughs> well, you know, and I've talked to some people that grew up in the South, and they are brought up to admire these statues because – it was just like, oh, they fought for the South. And then they're taught that the war wasn't about slavery. You know, it was about states' rights is what they say. But that's not true. And you, if you do more research, you'll find that that is not true. Um, and it was about slavery. And these guys wanted to keep their slaves. And, you know, yeah, I don't know. You just keep, please, just keep doing research, people. Please. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. Yeah. I can't stress it enough. And I promise you, everything you'll find on the internet is a short, brief read. <laughs> it's not like reading a book. <laughs> right? <laughs> in the time it takes to send a tweet, you could have read something and maybe made a much more educated decision on your life. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's a great, 
great points. I try to do that sometimes. Like instead of going through a feed, like if I have something to say, fine, that's one thing. But like if I <laughs> if I'm just gonna like sit there and like thumb through my Twitter feed or my Facebook feed, I'll stop myself sometimes and be like, no, let's learn something or read a book or something. You can just do something else other than social media, probably. <laughs> well, that's why it always that's why it always cracks me up when someone gets called out for you know saying something hateful or problematic online. Then it's like, well, the interaction is, oh, I didn't know it was going to get that reaction. It's like, so wait, you just typed and then just send? You, you didn't go back and read and say, wait a minute, I might be talking crazy here. Let me go back and revise this. Yeah, you know right. in your whole heart what this was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, and that's why we have apologies, too, I guess, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, I'm not racist. My thumbs are. My bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, but sometimes, and I, it, it's not a laughing matter, but sometimes you do, and I think that's why I did appreciate that second story, is it's not funny because, again, so much terrible stuff's happening, but sometimes you do have to at least look at it from a different angle because... You know, if you really just think about it too hard, it is crushing. Yeah, and and that that was something that uh, we realized in editorial. So, whenever you're making an anthology, all of the contributors, all of the writers and artists, they have no idea what the other stories are. They will not know until it's out. You know, that's just how anthologies work. I've been an artist on plenty of them so far. And um, it's always exciting to be in an anthology because then you know you're in this book and then you get it and then you get to read all the other stories that are on the same theme. But from an editorial standpoint, this was my first editorial gig. And when we were first getting pitches, it got super depressing, like all these pitches coming through and a lot of them hitting pretty hard and in a really depressing way. And thankfully, Danny came on. And was like, no, we need these stories of hope and resistance, you know, something more uplifting. And I had also been saying from the beginning that I still, even though we have this very serious book, I still want it to be really entertaining to read. And I also wanted it to be open genre to give the writers, uh, you know, free range on what they wanted to do. So hopefully that would also mix it up. And I think we did just that. There's probably only a couple of stories that just like punch you in the gut and just leave you there on the floor, <laughs> you know, um, the rest of them, though, there are I mean, we you know, we talked about the two in here where we have a, a horror story and a kind of funny, uh, uplifting story. We also have like Westerns, alien invasions. We have one that's a, a really cartoony story that. When I read the script, I literally laughed really hard. And even though it's on the topic, it felt like a kid's cartoon. Like you could show this to a kid and teach them this really great lesson in this really hilarious way. Like you can you can back that. You could be like, yeah, I get that. It's against racism. And it clearly is. But it made me laugh, too. And I think those are like really important breaks when you are reading a 250 page book about racism that you have those moments where you can laugh or you can smile or just have fun reading it. You know, um, we're not trying to beat you over the head with racism is bad. We're just trying to show you all the angles. 
And I'd imagine there comes a challenge with that because there sometimes can be this other side of that coin where in trying to be positive sometimes almost comes at the expense of putting on blinders. Yeah. Was there ever like a, a worry that maybe like even in trying to go up that people might get the wrong impression and not take it as seriously? Oh, no, it's it's definitely the point comes across when you read it. It was just that we didn't want anybody to put it down because it got so serious and we want you to get through this book. So there were no punches pulled for sure, aside from it being a peaceful book. <laughs> but um, we just delivered it in a way, you know, it's just like you can have a hip hop song. It can be really educational, but you still like listening to it. Or then if we switch genres, which we do in the, the anthology, you listen to a metal song and it still gets your blood pumping because it's metal, you know, but it can still teach you something within its content and within its lyrics. And I think that's kind of how I view anthologies. Well, at least this one with putting it together. It's kind of like many songs put together and we want to put you through the full range of emotions that we have. I've gone to protests and first I feel scared and then I feel determined. And then by the end of it, I usually feel pretty hopeful that we're going to take our country back and stabilize it. And we're all going to be able to work together as people, you know, and that's kind of what this anthology does. Like it, it just puts you through everything. It's a rough fight. Yeah, And a lot of those fights we don't see necessarily always in big displays you know, on the news, but there's still fights being waged almost everywhere. No, not almost. No, literally everywhere. Yeah. In some way, shape, or form. So that's kind of the, the point is that, you know, much like the title suggests, you know, it's a fight, but it's a good fight. And sometimes that fight feels unwinnable, but the alternative is if there is none, then there's no change. Right. And if there is one, it's definitely not one that anyone's going to want to support. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you get tired of, you know, resisting all this crap that's flung on you every day, somebody is noticing. That's that's what I've found out is there's there's somebody noticing and learning from you and your d determination. I'll never forget last spring. There was a, a women's march at the Capitol here in Lansing, and um, I wanted to go. And then I was like, oh, I'm really tired because of work and all this stuff. And maybe I won't go. And then my my two kids were like, let's go. We're going. Why aren't we going? Let's go. <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, you two really want to go. So like and I've never I've never seen that kind of motivation out of them about uh, a topic like this. You know what I mean? And I'm not crediting myself because it was probably my wife, actually. But <laughs> <laughs> but my point is that that whether it's your kids or the kid down the street, you know, someone may notice if if you're if you're fighting the good fight and you want to keep it up and just just keep it up. You know, my kids and my family definitely re-energize me when it gets tough. And, and, you know, to be honest, like this stuff is on my brain all the time because I'm making this uh, anthology, you know, and, and I, I try to keep up on it on the news and everything. And it just gets, gets tough, but you just got to keep going because at this point I'm, I'm fighting for my kids. 
Number one, the, the women in our lives always know better. Yeah. <laughs> time and time again. Yeah. So even if she was the one that kind of put that there, it's like awesome. Yeah. And also, you brought up a great point, and that's something that I'm glad that, because I kind of wanted to discuss that in some way, is that fight that's being fought. And I almost think of it because, of course, everything in my life is filtered through some sort of like, you know, genre related, yeah. you know, yeah. phenomenon. Because I was actually just thinking about Star Wars and even like The Last Jedi. Yeah. Now, when I walked out of that movie, I, of course, was like, holy crap, this was a really good movie. But yeah. also <laughs> realizing then, because when I first went in, I didn't read anything, no spoilers, nothing else. I went in as clean and fresh as I possibly could. If I didn't know about any of all, like, the sort of the backlash until after the movie was already released. Yeah, I didn't even hear about that until it was like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> It missed all the eye rolling and even some of the rage and wanting to do the threads, basically calling people out for all this. I come to realize what this movie essentially was saying, and it was clear as day, was even in like the last scenes, is that this battle that's going on, it's not just for us. Right. It's for who comes after. I'm hearing my kids playing in the other room, and they are going to be growing up in a world where people are just going to judge them because of the color of their skin. Yeah. They don't have to just be your family because the thing is, you know, kids aren't dumb. Right. They're very perceptive. They're very aware. So when they see other people doing good deeds and committing good acts and fighting against racism and bigotry and misogyny or transphobia, all these things, they see all that. We're not doing it just for us. We're doing it for them. I know, at least when I grew up, the lessons I learned were from pop culture, like comics or movies. So... When I walked out of stores realizing it's like, it's about them. Yeah. And hopefully the world will still be standing where they can have kids and it'll continue because love, much like hate, is something that's taught. I do understand now why you said you were trying to go up with the story because, yes, I am a firm believer of in order to make change, you got to kind of have to shake people up a bit. But being filled with that hope, that's kind of what you want because then that's how the fight continues. Yeah. And hopefully there'll be a day where we don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. And... I, I just got to say real quick, the thing that I really loved <laughs> about The Last Jedi was Luke doing the most badass Jedi thing peacefully. That, yes. That was like, <laughs> holy shit. Like, I never sorry, thought I about that. that. No, but, that's, uh, <laughs> no, you can curse away, but that's, I never thought about that. Wow, that's a really great way to put it. Yeah. It was like the most badass form of peaceful protest. It was. It was the example. <laughs> like... It, he he hit that new level of what being a, a Jedi means because growing up as a kid and watching Star Wars, I always thought like, oh, they, they when they sit around and you're like Yoda talks, he's just like a little Buddha or something. Right. But then mm-hmm. later on, they're like cutting limbs off and stuff, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool. You know, it's sci fi, whatever. But then I felt like they finally brought it home to like what it meant to be a Jedi with with that scene at that with the last jedi you know and um yeah that was amazing for me i loved that (laughs) (laughs) no i'm glad you brought that up because you know i could be here all day talking about that movie yeah (laughs) and that overall message of some things are better left in the past like you know we can remember them but it's time to do something new something different yeah so with the Kickstarter coming up soon, are you able to give at least a little bit of tease of some of the rewards that are coming up? Because I know with any Kickstarter, that's one thing that's always fun to check out. 
I'm not going to name any names, but we will say that there's going to be some original art on there from some artists that are on this that I I can't believe that there's a chance to buy this art. So if you're an art collector, you want to get on this Kickstarter. <laughs> um, and also, if you are a creator, there's going to be portfolio reviews from some of our artists. There's uh, story reviews from... Uh, Danny Lore, which is the editor on this book, and um, also Heather Antos. Um, so yeah, there's quite a bit of stuff. There's also the ability to obtain a very limited uh, copy of the Good Fight Ashcan that we handed out in New York this year. There was only 325 of those made, and we're not going to make any more. So if you, oh wow, yeah, if you can get your hands on one, and the cool thing about this Ashcan is this is something not a lot of people know about is the cover is done uh, by Christian Ward and it's actually not the cover for the final book. Oh yeah. This cover is just for the ash can. Um, and that's a great cover on its own. So yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of remarkable saying, Oh, this isn't even my final form. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Ward's going to do another one for final publication and we're actually going to have a Kickstarter exclusive cover from uh, another up and coming artist. So there's going to be some really, I think, collectible things from this, some limited edition things. I know Christian Ward actually is going to do uh, signed prints of the cover, too, and send them to us to put onto Kickstarter. So really exciting things are coming. I don't want to spill it all yet, but... Yeah, it's going to be great. <laughs> no, it's great. And I'm a big fan of Christian Ward. And for anybody who's listening who's not familiar uh, with Christian's work, well, one, uh, what's wrong with you? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's it's great stuff. Yeah, he's currently uh, on Thor. He's do- he's doing Thor right now. My God, that's... <laughs> yeah, he's he's amazing. He's got such a unique style. It's, it's like fluid, but messy, but I don't know, tight at the same time and really colorful and just pops and... It's a really unique style, and it's undeniable how powerful it is for sure. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that because I'm already well. I've been excited, but that that definitely you know sweet the deal for me. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. Come to think about it, though, you've been a part of so many other Kickstarter projects before, so it, it seems like you kind of have a, a, a nice little handle as to how this is all going to play out. So again, best of luck. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, with this whole book, I've known my own personal shortcomings as a creator slash editor. So I've obviously enlisted lots and lots of help from talented people, more talented than I. So um, Eric Palicki is actually going to be running our Kickstarter. He is a Kickstarter guru and a very talented writer. He's also written a story uh, in The Good Fight. Really great sci-fi story, actually. Um, and uh, yeah, so every step of the way. We we have somebody that knows what they're doing because I do not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, though? That's smart because a lot of times in anything, and I'm guilty of this, too, and I'm sure if I once Eileen listens to this, she'll, tell, she'll give you a laundry list where it's like, I think I have the right idea. I think I have the right answer. I want to realize, no, I don't. And if you had just asked someone or just reached out, you could have. You know, not made like a smoldering hole in the ground where it was supposed to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Literally and sometimes figuratively, long story, but. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've destroyed a lot of computers. Probably, but that's epic. That's another podcast for another time. <laughs> but I guess what I'm saying is that's also a 
sign of not only a good creator, but also a good collaborator to know your strengths and your weaknesses and your limitations and having enough people who are not even necessarily just willing to pick up the slack, but also can match your vision and even at times exceed it to say, hey, you know, not only am I going to help out, but I'm also going to bring something to the table that you may not have thought of and help me make it better. Because considering how many people are on this, you definitely need a good team of people to sort of make it all cohesive. And that's that's big. Yeah, we wanted many different perspectives just to, on the storytelling alone. And then we wanted different perspectives on the editorial team. So we knew it was getting all assembled the best it could. And, um, you know, and it's, and it's great. I feel like we really have, you know, something good here when so many people just step up and are ready to do it. I mean, we even have someone that is helping us with all of these law things that I have no idea what I'm talking about. So we now have a lawyer, uh, Gamal Hennessy (laughs) that has helped up, uh, uh, stepped up to help us with some of the technical lawyery things that I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So it's great. Open up your community and just let everybody in and you're going to get this really great thing out of it. I guess that also kind of goes into a little bit of you know discussion on privilege and things like that. Stepping outside of your own worldview to kind of look at somebody else's experience and saying, hey, these things are happening to me. And what better way to do that than have them on board to share their stories? I think that's very powerful. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely something that we had to do with, with this, you know, just to make it what it needs to be. And, um, you know, I admit I'm privileged and none of these things will affect me as hard as any other <laughs> type of person, you know, um, but uh, it's it's my responsibility to lift everyone up. And I got this opportunity to do so. So I'm going to do that. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing experience with this. And also just thank you for taking the time out to chat even personally, because you know, knowing somebody online, you know, meeting a person, it's a different dynamic, but sure. you know, I had an absolute blast uh, chatting with you. And I will say, if nothing else, this weekend, as cons often do, definitely reaffirmed my love of not only just comics, but just even collaborations and just meeting so many people. And thank you for being part of that. Thank you. Thank you. No, same, likewise. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> so before we go... If there's anything else, any other books or projects you want to mention or any of your social networking sites. So if someone's saying, this Adam Ferris fella, pretty cool. I don't know who says fella anymore. Don't, don't mind me. <laughs> the scenario in my head, I don't know. I just imagined some old-timey guy wearing a stove pipe. I don't know. But it's like, I like the cut of his jib. Where can I find out more about him? I definitely so, want that gentleman to follow me. So um, <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, it's at Adam underscore Ferris, F E R R I S underscore art. That's my Twitter. Uh, my Instagram, if you want to see some of my art is Mr. Underscore Ferris. Um, yeah, that's pretty much where you can get me. That'll do it for this episode of Adrian has issues and we will see you next issue.
thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please visit us on the web at adrianhasissues.com where you can stream and download all of our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Adrian Has Issues. Follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues and on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and the Laughable Podcast app. Thanks again.